an emergent capability of these large language models, including ChatGPT, is actually translation. Dishonestly trying to get work and get money at the expense of real professional translators. Hi, everyone, and welcome to SlaterPod. Today, a quick news roundup show. Hi, Esther. Hey, Florian. So, you know, new year, new habits, new structures, new everything. So we're going to, as some of you have noticed, we're going to split up the pod into the guest segment, and we're going to record a quick news roundup towards the end of the week. Uh, I think it's great. It's giving the guests uh, uh, some more time, uh, kind of just a standalone segment, and we get to focus on the news as well. So I think uh, I think this works. Uh, hopefully, we can keep up the the publishing pace again weekly in 2023. What's on the agenda today? Uh, we're going to have to talk about ChatGPT, right? I think so. <laughs> we have to. And then, uh, yeah, we also are going to, again, talk about DeepL. They just confirmed that race that we spoke about earlier, that uh, unicorn round. It's kind of odd, that word unicorn, right? That unicorn round. Uh, we're going to talk about this translator CV scam, which has been going on ever since I joined the industry, like in 2004 or something. Uh, briefly touch on the best and worst performing listed LSPs. Um, I want to just bring up this Amazon study, uh, which was super interesting about dubbing. And we're going to have to say goodbye to a beloved piece of research, which uh, we'll talk about at the end. First, though, ChatGPT. Uh, you know, it's the best performing podcast last year for us on, on YouTube. It's not the one where you were pretending or where you asked ChatGPT to be a translation manager. Of course it is. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? Nice. Uh, at least on YouTube, we didn't upload the audio version. The audio versions typically get uh, uh, some more downloads than the, the views on YouTube. But like, uh, yeah, it's now like 2,000 views and it's climbing quite rapidly. I think it's getting picked up by Google search. <laughs> uh, if people like Google like, uh, ChatGPT and translation, I think that thing uh, pops up. Go check it out. It's kind of hard to explain. So what we did was when it just came out, ChatGPT, we, we put in... Um, uh, ChatGPT again. So for those that haven't heard about it, but I guess ninety nine percent of the people that are listening to this should have heard about ChatGPT. It's like an open AI, uh, large language model that can do all kinds of things, including you know translation, but also you know answer questions and code, you know do software code, etc. So we made it pretend to be a translation manager and ran like a kind of a fake three four minute. Um, I mean not fake, like a, just a pretend uh, podcast with ChatGPT being the translation manager and us asking questions. And then so we So you used... were interviewing ChatGPT with ChatGPT in the role of translation manager? Correct. Accurately summarized. And then we took that content, we uploaded it to Synthesia and made two avatars uh, basically, you know, sp speak the content. And then that was a four-minute thing we uploaded on YouTube, and that's the most popular YouTube podcast we had this year. Uh, last year, which is ridiculous. But anyway, so we're no longer needed, Esther. We can just kind of have the robots I talk to each say, other. I was going to say, should we hang up our podcast hats? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it generates views, why not? Um, so, so yeah, okay. Again, it's hard to kind of break down this whole ChatGPT from uh, a non-expert point of view. But, it, you know, it's a huge, large language model, which we spoke about at length in the past. It has like, you know, I, I don't know, 175 billion parameters, if I'm correct. Uh, it's it's um, it was launched by OpenAI, which is uh, neither 
it's not very open. Uh, it's actually kind of a, it's not an open source company. It's kind of a private, uh, it's a pr private company now. And they actually raised uh, a lot of money from Microsoft early on, and they're going to raise a lot more from Microsoft now. And there's people talking about kind of chat GPT replacing parts of Google search. So there's this like massive hype going on, um, at the moment. I mean, why am I saying Google search? Well, you can, instead of Googling something, you can just kind of ask chat GPT to give you the answer right i think so, you can it, also link the two like you can have google sort of display chat gpt or something along those along those lines probably not yet no i saw some, something i think on linkedin about use cases and people who've already been building sort of startup ideas on top of chat, chat gpt and one of them was was exactly that you can kind of integrate chat gpt responses into your browser i think rather than into google just like yeah there's like thousands Mm. or at least that's how it feels like thousands of startups being started right now on top of this type of large language model, right? And, and ChatGPT mm. in particular. Um, I mean, the thing is, I, I'm kind of smartening up a little bit on these things. I think Google actually has something very similar, which is called Palm, P-A-L-M. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just the talk on Twitter is that they haven't launched it yet, like as openly as... Um, as OpenAI has, because, you know, like you're asking the model all kinds of weird questions and it, like it can answer, like basically there's initially people were asking like, hey, show me how to do a Molotov cocktail. And then like the, the AI would say, well, I'm not going to do that. But there's all kinds of other ways of kind of tricking the AI into doing something, you know, malicious or weird or, mm. you know, biased or what have you. So I think Google is rightly quite cautious in releasing this into the wild. Makes sense. Anyway, so... Why are we talking about this? Uh, because it also has a kind of an emergent capability of um, these large language models, including ChatGPT is actually translation. So you can kind of post a piece of content, you can ask it to translate it. The quality is not really up to par yet with the specialized models, but it's quite good. It's probably more like NMT was like five years ago. So it's like slightly off sometimes, maybe it's hallucinating a little bit sometimes, but it's actually not bad. Um, but it's not like a, you know, a threat to these specialized models that we all have come to uh, to love and to use in expert in the loop translation workflows, and that's actually also something that I think is interesting that you're seeing a lot of the, especially on Twitter, you see a lot of software engineers like, oh my god, this thing is kind of helping me. It's writing like eighty percent of the code if I prompt it correctly, and like they're all, uh, and even and also writers, etc. They're all sensing now, oh, this is we're getting into this kind of expert in the loop needing to interact with AI workflow now. And then like the translation industry is like, yeah, well, been there, done that. Yeah, learned the lesson, whatever, four or five years ago. Four or five, six <laughs> years ago, right? So it's it's a bit of a meh uh, reaction from the translation industry for now, just like in terms of immediate impact, of course, there's all kinds of... Uh, discussions around, well, what if you can prompt the model to write proper multilingual content from scratch so you don't even have to translate it anymore? And, and you know, um, Intento gave a few good ideas at our last SlaterCon. So there's all kind of cool stuff coming online, but uh, for now it's uh, it's just watching and observing and it's, uh, it's interesting. One company that's definitely uh, uh, still better in terms of machine translation than ChatGPT is DeepL. And uh, yeah, what, what happened there? Well, the, I think, hot, hotly anticipated funding fundraise has been confirmed. Uh, we did a story, I think, back in November saying that DeepL uh, was in the process of, of raising money. Um, that's now 
closed and confirmed. I mean, typically kind of tight-lipped, I suppose, from DPL, although um, some of the tech reporting websites um, did come up with some numbers. Um, so we have what well, DPL confirmed, according to TechCrunch, that they did the fundraise at a 1 billion euro valuation, so just over $1 billion. Um, but then, yeah, you've got a lot of different figures kind of flying around in terms of how much they raised. But it seems some sources saying sort of $100 million, some saying one, two, five. Um, and yeah, that's sort of the headline news. Good for them. And then there's also investor sources that said that it was um, really like 20x revenue, like run rate revenue. So that's like they're you know now at a run rate of about $50 million, which kind of makes sense. I think ballpark from all the figures that we've heard over the past couple of years. So run rate meaning it's not like they actually did generate 50 million in 2022, but it's like in December they generated, you know, a 12th of 50 a million now. A 12th of that, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and apparently it's, they doubled in, in size in 2022, breaking even or close to being profitable. Of course, they could be in immediately very, very profitable if they didn't reinvest massively in hiring and ramping up, which we kind of unpacked uh, in previous parts, right? We did that, this analysis. So, yeah, and I mean, now they have a lot of dry powder to go after these big enterprise clients, which is what I think they're trying to do. Maybe they're going to launch some new products. We spoke about the Rider product, I think, in a previous podcast. They um, pulled it, didn't they? They pulled it, Launched or it I mean, maybe they're going to launch it. So maybe they're going to do a few new products, but definitely they're going to go more into into the enterprise. So. Look, overall, it's a massive vote of confidence in in the in the language industry. You could you like the glass half empty version would be, oh, you know, they're basically going to disrupt it and going to take a lot of market share away from others. But I guess the glass half full version is, I mean, who's raising at twenty times revenue, uh, run rate revenue in this environment right now? Almost no one, right? So. All right, DeepL ticks a couple of boxes, almost profitable or, or profitable and in AI. And then this is literally the only combination almost at the moment where you can raise at this crazy valuation. So overall, pretty big vote of confidence in, in the language technology industry. So I guess not bad, not bad. Not bad at all. So there's some people that don't want to make money the honest way, but they want to scam other people out of their hard-earned cash. So... Uh, what's up with that, Esther? Yeah, well, we're talking about translator scams. Um, but I suppose there is some good news, despite uh, people with nefarious intent trying to scam others, stealing CVs, possible work, and trying to basically taking over someone's CV and adding your own contact details to it, that sort of thing. Um, so sort of, yeah, dishonestly trying to get work and get money um, where... And at the at the expense of real professional translators, um, but yeah, the good news is that um, the according to the Translator Scammers Directory or TSD, uh, this is the first time in twenty in twenty twenty two that there's actually been a decrease in the number of new scammer IDs. So that means uh, names and email addresses that were created. So it seems to be on the decline, uh, potentially. Um, because TSD says the CV scam is becoming less and less profitable to scammers. Um, and they said, they pointed out that to their knowledge, there were no, no scammers got paid in 2022. So I think the idea here is that people are wising up. Like you said, this has kind of been the case. It's been ongoing for, for many, many years. Forever, um, right? Forever. So I, I mean, think I remember people are just this. wise to it. 
I remember this from way back in the days. I kept getting all these CVs. I'm like, well, that doesn't look like, you know, yeah. Hans Müller from Germany. That looks like... <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Somebody else, yeah. <laughs> somebody else. It just didn't... I mean, like, don't... don't. It just looked kind of scammy from the start because it's probably... Yeah. You can't do it too in a too sophisticated way because it costs you money. So you got to kind of go for spray and pray approach. They were also kind of saying that, I mean, in terms of like LSPs or translation agencies vetting the CVs that come in, obviously there's a lot you can do. You can go on LinkedIn, you can kind of check, you know, people's history and things like that in terms of due diligence and references and things like that. But actually one of the suggestions that TSD had was that uh, video calls are the best yeah. just to make yeah. sure the person is who they say who they are. Um, so that was one tip that we got out of that. Yeah, you're not going to do a video call with these guys. Um, all right. So good. Scamming on a downtrend. Uh, you know, there's a few other things that have been on downtrends. Uh, actually, out of all the listed language service providers that we're tracking, and it's it's almost a dozen, only two delivered a positive performance in 2022. Oh, wow. That is uh, Zoo Digital, which we mentioned a number of times in this podcast. So if you invested $100 in Zoo Digital at the beginning of the year, you'd now have 137. And if you were bold enough to invest in Honyaku Services at the beginning of the 2020, you have $106. Very good. I'd rather have the 139. <laughs> 136, yeah. 136. In 2022, in this environment, to actually generate any positive return uh, is is quite quite impressive because you know a lot of companies, yeah. uh, a lot of obviously the stock market's down overall, and uh, you know I think if you look at the benchmark, it's down 20 percent. That's the MSCI. That's like the broadest possible gauge of like stock market. Um, down 20 percent. Um, not good, but uh, yeah, let's just go through some of the, so if you start at the top again, uh, Zoo Digital uh, performing well, Honyaku Center, obviously almost uh, very, very illiquid stock, probably very thinly traded uh, and, you know, had a, took a big hit like in 2019 and 2020, uh, in 2021. So now they're barely just kind of hovering along there. Uh, the third would be Keyword Studios down 4%, then this Star 7, which listed this year, uh, which is kind of a subsidiary of a star, uh, down 13. Then we got Meta Real, I think Japanese, MT company, uh, kind yeah, of fluctuating Rosetta. around. Yeah, formerly Rosetta, right? Uh, 20%. Straker down 33%. RWS climbing out of a hole. So RWS was down 57% uh, in like October, and it's now climbed up to be only down 39%. I think... Uh, Investors look like they're starting to appreciate the new CEO's vision, uh, and so it's climbing back up. And then AI Media uh, down 53%, and then, yeah, it gets really dark at the bottom there with Appen being down 78%. Uh, and, of course, from the peak, like, it's down, like, 93 or 4%. It's, like, at, it traded at, like, 45 Aussie dollars. Now it's, like, down to, like, $2.5. So they got a new CEO. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see if uh, he just posted happens. something on on the website. Like, hey, here's here's who I am. Here's my strategy. And uh, oh, you know, nice. They mentioned machine translation as well, so quite interesting. And then at the very bottom is a company called Viq Solutions. It's a transcription uh, company. So not doing as well as Happy Scribe is, which we had on the pod a couple of days ago. That was uh, that was interesting. And uh, we're now testing Happy Scribe for this podcast. So. Yeah, go to 
our that's I think the 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 chart is in our news briefing. In the article. Yeah, oh, okay. it's a it's part of our it's like our new series, right? The news briefing, uh, monthly briefing that's available to subscribers. So head over there and click subscribe. Um, now, sorry, one la- one thing I want to talk about just very briefly is the uh, the Amazon dubbing study. Uh, so yeah. there's a, a team of um, a couple of Amazon researchers and someone from I'm blanking on the name, but uh, basically not work for Amazon, but maybe for the MIT. Not sure. Uh, and then did, did like a, an, a project at Amazon. What they looked at what is what they're calling a large-scale study of human localization with insights for automatic dubbing. That sounds interesting. Human localization with insights for automatic dubbing. Okay. Correct. So not specifically automatic dubbing, but they're looking at how humans localize to learn from that and put it into automatic or machine dubbing. That is correct because Amazon has a strong interest to eventually get automatic dubbing right, which is, you know, probably one of the hardest thing ever in the language industry. But with all the content they're putting out, very, very uh, uh, kind of a very ambitious, but also very return on investment. Uh, well, and they goal. also have a large hu- uh, component of human translation, I suppose, or what you would call mostly human localization. Correct. So what they did was they looked at um, th- uh, 674 episodes of 54 shows uh, that turned into 319 hours of content and 9,215 distinct speakers. So wow. it must have been kind of pick and choose from uh, individual episodes because, you know, well, actually 600 episodes, 300 hours. So yeah, half, half an hour per episode. Uh, but yeah, nearly 10,000 distinct speakers. That's 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 it's a lot, lot of, of distinct speakers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um and so they looked at basically how human dubbers kind of balance the competing interests of semantic fidelity, natural speak, timing constraints, and convincing lip sync. And I mean, the convincing lip sync is just, it's, it's, it is important. Turns out it's not super important to the dubbers, but like to me, it's very important as a, as a viewer because I now very rarely watch dubbed content, but I used to as a kid basically only watch dub content. But now when I go back and like watch kind of linear TV and I come across one of these dub shows, I'm, I mean, it's so irritating. Does it make you cringe? It doesn't actually say that. Like you can see the English thing, the lip in the in, in, uh, kind of, you know, bird in the German content there. So anyway, so they looked at, again, how, how human dubbers balance the competing interests of semantic fidelity, natural speak, timing constraints, and convincing lip sync. And they found that uh, human dubbers, which it's kind of interesting what they would call a human dubber, kind of that would be a voice artist combined with translation with maybe an agency, like an LSP, right? But let's just sum it up. The final, yeah, it being sort of the final dubbed version. Yeah, it being the the human dubber. They say they display less respect for isochrony and especially lip sync um, while being surprisingly unwilling to very speaking rates or sacrifice translation quality to hit other constraints. So speaking okay. rates, sacrifice translation quality, and uh, so lip syncing is the one that's um, 
that's kind of loses out, I suppose. So they're prioritizing the 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 natural speech or the speaking rate as well as the what they they call it semantic fidelity or translation quality above the actual lip sync. Now I don't know. I got to be very open here. I think there there was one or a couple of comments on on LinkedIn from like experts in the field that were like, "Yeah, really? Like, why would you be surprised?" So I can't really. Uh, I don't really know how much of a surprise this would be to like specialists in the field. Maybe yeah. not so much, right? But given that this was probably one of the larger studies that went into this question, I mean, I still think it's interesting that they found that, right? So it's basically backed up by data. And the paper looks super serious. So we're trying to get them on the podcast. Let's see if they if they respond. Um, yeah, that's it. Now, we have to say goodbye, Esther, to a very beloved piece of research. Why and who and what? Who and what and why? Uh, yeah, the I think we put out a an article on this earlier um, this week to say that we're going to be retiring the job index, um, which uh, well, most most I know sad. Uh, most people will have seen one or, or many job indexes because uh, it's been going for four years, um, and it's what we were using um, and tracking. Um, on a monthly basis, looking at sort of the the strength um, of the hiring and employment, uh, well, hiring and employment within the language industry. Um, so as to why we're retiring it, we're basically, I mean, we were looking at lots of different sources underlying um, the job index. And several of those have very recently in the past month or so um, changed the level and type of information that's available to us. So we just can't get the underlying data that would make the job index a, a rich, a rich and meaningful index. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a shame, but I think obviously we'd rather, we'd rather pull it than, than go ahead and, and sort of have something less meaningful than what we've been looking at and, and tracking for, for the past four plus years. So it's not because there's no more jobs available. Oh, there's no jobs. Sorry. Yeah, all of the jobs have disappeared. <laughs> all of the jobs have gone away. All of the jobs. Yeah. And the so that is sad. But I mean, obviously, over. there's there's other ways that we kind of talk about engage um, the strength of, of hiring and employment in the industry. Um, yeah. We'll continue to make that a, a topic of conversation as well. Yeah. So it's not because the robots are taking over. It's because, uh, you know, there's just less available data out there. And so... Away it goes. Uh, And that's what we're going to do now as well. Say goodbye uh, and uh, see you next week again.